Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Welcome back to the show and welcome to Steve Oaken and our International News Review. Good morning, Steve. How are you today? I'm, I'm good. You know, it's interesting. I got an email this week from Dan the Man, and I figured it was, you know, the logistics for the show today. But it was actually asking me to, you know, come and fill in on, on Monday for the Washington Report with, huh? with Elliot yeah. Banker and the team. So I'm glad to see Dan the Man's now working with the A-team. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Firstly, I'll let that petty giant and... pass. I'm more concerned about Dan selling us out. What's going on, Dan? We're going to Chicago you if you carry and... on. International News Review. <laughs> and that's the International News Review for today. Okay, back to New York. <laughs> Oh, very nice. Well, uh, you know, I think we're, I think we're going to have a power failure on Monday morning. I'm guessing something's going to because it's going to be a power vacuum right, in so- our international news review. Steve, yeah. before we get started, yeah. do you hear that last uh, Q and A about Chicago Town? Did you, did you have I did, there? and you because uh, Steve's from Chicago as well, right? Yeah. Well, and and yeah, I wonder if your listeners know this this shirt. I know. I'm sure Glenn, you old do, style. This you is bet. In honor of your Chicago discussion. There you go. Wow. There I didn't you. know Steve was from Chicago. I've learned something new. I just assumed you was a kind of DC guy. Well, or for a while, I was thinking that too, and I had forgotten that Steve was from Chicago. Steve, are you from the city or, or from uh, outside? Well, born in the city, and yeah. then we we kept moving north and north and north. North, uh, yeah. You know, as North Shore is, is, is the family group, but then my my parents moved us east back when I was in junior high school. So, mm. Dan, we have two Chicago gangsters on the show, not just one. <laughs> so he would have been, Steve, at some point would have been Home Alone in the area, actually, where Home Alone was filmed. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Steve Ogan joins us now for International News Review. Steve, China and ASEAN. China is now uh, addressing ASEAN, saying that it's placing great importance on uh, Southeast Asia and diplomacy and trying to build and shore up uh, the relations with the countries here. Uh, this happened just this week, um, was announced, a move was announced by uh, Xi Jinping. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, as, as an American, you've seen all the things that the U.S. is doing to, to, to build and grow its relations uh, and ri- raise the stakes with ASEAN. You know, you say in sports, you know, you know, the other team has a coach, too. And China is, is doing exactly what the United States is doing from China's perspective. It, it is going to engage more and more with ASEAN. It's upping the relationship from uh, what they now refer to as a comprehensive strategic partnership as opposed to just a strategic partnership. Um, so it's going to be economic, but there's going to be some some uh, probably security cooperation uh, that is going to be strengthened. And so, I mean, I think in some ways this is very good news for Southeast Asia because you have the, the U.S. and China both seeing this as a critical place to do business, to be involved uh, diplomatically, to be involved at least partially militarily. But that's also a challenge, of course, for ASEAN, because it's now going to be uh, Mm. even more so in the competition between the U.S. and China. That was exactly going to be my point, Steve, and something that you would cover at McClarty Associates. You know, where is Southeast Asia in all of this? Because it's a constant juggling act. I mean, even with something as seemingly... I was going to say banal, but it's not banal at all. You know, the situation with the tennis player that we'll get onto in a moment. You know, how do we talk about it? How do we comment about it? Do we talk about domestic policies in China? Do we not? So where is Southeast Asia in the middle of all this? Trying to constantly balance two very Mm. conflicting political and economic ideologies between the U.S. and China. And I think think part of that answer, Neil, is going to be how is it that China is going to approach 
um, Southeast Asia. Uh, and, you know, Xi Jinping at this at this summit to, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of China-ASEAN relations, he, he quoted a Chinese proverb. Uh, he said, as distance tests a horse's strength, time reveals a person's heart. Hmm. Uh, China was, is, and always will be ASEAN's good neighbor, good friend, and good partner. And later on, Xi Jinping went on to say China will not bully smaller countries. So if China does take that approach, I mean, look, it's the biggest economic market. Obviously, it's the it's the behemoth in the region uh, from, you know, from a population perspective. China is going to do very well in Southeast Asia. But you have to see what is it going to do in the South China Sea? Is it going to to respect the claims of the Philippines and Brunei and Vietnam and in, in Malaysia there, or is it going to be more confrontational as it's been recently? So yeah. if China plays its cards the, in a certain way, it has got a huge advantage over the United States, and it can be to the benefit of all of Southeast Asia uh, is, is, is that competition. Hmm. Steve, a week ago we were talking about the fact that uh, Chinese, probably Chinese biggest tennis star, Peng Shui, uh, was missing or had not, at least not been heard from in some time. And uh, this had occurred after she had posted on Twitter uh, some uh, disparaging comments about a, a Communist Party member and their uh, a physical relationship. She has now come out uh, and, and did a video meeting with the International Olympic Committee president on Sunday last week saying she's fine, everything's great. But this has not necessarily gone uh, as smoothly as one might have thought. Well, the question is, is this going to be a turning point for how uh, global businesses uh, interact with China, or is this going to be an anomaly? And historically, businesses have backed down when they have gotten involved in something that China did not want them to get involved in. And the NBA backed down when it started talking about Hong Kong. The EPL backed down and did not support one of its players when, when you know, he was talking about the Uyghurs. The WTA is not going to back down. And you're not going to see Naomi Osaka or you know, Serena Williams uh, say, we're going to ignore women's rights. That, that here we have a woman who, is, who's, who said she had been basically raped by a former very senior Chinese government officials. She's been censored in China. China has refused to talk about it. China has refused to uh, investigate, which is what they want, her claims to see if what she said is, is, is credible and how you're going to address it. And because China has clamped it down, even though there has been this, you know, this video where she's surrounded by stuffed animals with the, with the IOC, and the IOC doesn't ask any pertinent questions, yeah. you know, uh, other, than, other than how are you, um, it, it's going to have a real impact. And the question is, are other businesses going to follow suit and put their core principles and this one, you know, women's rights um, against what uh, the Chinese government does not want to uh, have looked at? Steve, the worrying thing for me and many uh, commentators is the fact that the government official himself has not said anything, not come forward in any way to confirm, deny, refute, anything. Do you think that will be the standard policy? They'll just wait for it to blow over? Or will there have to be some sort of official comment, rebuttal at some point? Well, I think, look, I, I don't think this is going to change China, and I don't think this is going to change the WTA. And the WTA is going to have to decide, you know, are they going to pull out of China? They held nine tournaments there mm. in 2019, you know, pre-pandemic. They signed a 10-year deal to have the year-end finals there, you know, used to be in Singapore. They signed a 10-year deal, and China put up $14 million in prize money a year. Is the WTA willing to walk away from that? It looks like they are. And now the question is going to be, 
as other issues come up from a, a social perspective, a human rights perspective, um, will other businesses follow more of the, we could call the Michael Jordan mid-1980s uh, way of, of doing business, where he famously said, when asked to get involved in a Senate race mm-hmm. to, to favor a Democrat in North Carolina, he turned it down and he said, look, Republicans buy shoes too. And I stay out of politics. I stay out of social issues. He wouldn't do that anymore. Um, and the question is, will businesses do that uh, other than the WTA? Could be a real turning point. Absolutely. Yeah, the uh, WTA um, a spokesperson on Monday said it was, quote, it was good to see Peng Shui in recent videos, but they do not alleviate or address the WTA's concern about her well-being and ability to communicate without censorship or, or coercion, unquote. Uh, we, we don't know. Uh, you know, we don't know what her situation is. She was smiling. She was sitting there. Maybe she's fine, right? We don't know. Hmm. Um, we don't know what was going behind the scenes. Uh, now, you know, in this conversation, um, we have assumed the worst, uh, but uh, we honestly don't know. I mean, maybe she is fine. Maybe she's just at home. Maybe she did that post and regretted it and, you know, was told to take it down, but she's actually okay and just kind of cool in her, her, her heels at home. It, it's so hard to they- know. Yeah, but the issue, going the issue is not her her safety necessarily. I mean, obviously that is a real issue for the you know for for the WTA. But the issue is beyond her safety. The issue is she made a what certainly seems to be a credible claim mm. that a high ranking former uh, official enforced her to into a uh, rape, basically, right into non consexual sex in 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 over a longer period of time, and that that needs to be investigated, and that you cannot shut down a woman's claim um, against a more powerful man, as Mm. used to happen in the United States, as used to happen in almost every country. Um, Look, it still happens everywhere. It still happens where there's a a huge power dynamic between women and men. And the WTA says, no, you have to address it. So it's not just, is she safe? It's not just, um, will she be okay? It's a broader issue that the WTA is going to get at. And Mm. and that's the question is, if China's going to, to make people choose between China and the rest of the world, right? The mm. rest of the world is a bigger market than China uh, for almost everybody. Um, and so it's certainly for sports leagues it is. And so the question is, are you going to have to choose between the rest of the world and China? The WN and the NBA didn't want to make that choice. EPL didn't want to make that choice. WTA seems to be making that choice. You're going, they're going down that road. And that's, that's what's going to change things much more uh, than just one person. And just briefly, uh, Steve, t- following on from Glenn's point, that's why I think this, feel this is such a landmark case because it's, it is about the rest of the world here more than it is China, isn't it? Because we're, we're dealing with a post-Me Too environment now where multinational corporations, innocent or guilty, have set up, you know, have codified laws within the industries to say that, you know, she has the right to be heard and the case has the right to be investigated. Hmm. You know, innocent or guilty at this stage doesn't come into it, really. It's about, right, she said this. It's about the investigation. We have a duty now to investigate and take a, a course of action. And that's the problem that companies have right now, don't they, who deal in large sums of money with China. Yeah, and, you know, most companies say, you know, we follow the law where we operate. So when we operate in the U.S., we follow U.S. law. When we operate in Singapore, we follow Singapore law, even if it differs from U.S. or U.K. law, which it does in, in certain small but significant ways. Mm. And then in China, we, we, we you know, follow Chinese law. And this isn't about Chinese law necessarily, though. This is right. Does a woman have the right to be heard? Mm. Um, does she have the right to ha- be protected? Does she have the right to, to not be subject 
to such an imbalance of power. Um, and that's very different than following the laws. And businesses, if they're going to have to get into that choice, it's going to be much more difficult for them. Um, Steve, we're not there yet. Yeah. That's where we're going. What do you uh, what are, are you hearing anything, uh, you know, whispers, silent conversations behind the scenes, whatever uh, from uh, your business contacts or, or clients or potential clients? Is, is this is this particular issue resonating with them to the point that they are considering greater action either to, to impact their China play in some way? Or are we not there yet? I mean, we're not. Well, it, this is part of an evolution of what's been happening. You know, what's been happening for businesses in deciding what do we say about Hong Kong, if anything? What do we say about forced labor uh, in Xinjiang, where we have sanctions against China from the United States and the UK uh, in others? So th- this is part of how do you how do you do business in, in two different places? And you have government that is going to dictate what you can and can't do, but then you're going to have your customers mm. who are going to dictate what you can and can't do. The United States right now, 67% of Americans have negative feelings towards China. That's up almost by, by a third from just a couple of years ago. And that, that number is consistent across a lot of uh, Western democracies. I mean, the United States, you actually have Ted Cruz and AOC agreeing on China. They're yeah. probably the only thing yeah. they agree on. They but you got the agreeing. far left and the, and, the, and the far right agreeing on China. So, yeah, no, it is something that's been happening. You've got the potential Olympic diplomatic boycott from, from the U.S., from the U.K., from Australia, maybe from others. Is this going to put pressure on sponsors? It, this is just an a, 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 a mm. acceleration of something businesses have been looking at for a while now. Mm. Okay. Hey, let's move on. Uh, Singapore announcing six more VTL countries, Thailand, Cambodia, Fiji, Maldives, Sri Lanka, and Turkey starting middle of next month. Good news, right? Opening up again so far, 27 VTLs uh, in Singapore. I, look, I think Singapore is on the trajectory towards opening up from a you know personal exp- uh, perspective. You know, super intern Bennett and, and his brother Mason are coming home from Colorado mm. uh, for Christmas. Now maybe we'll get to go to Phuket in, in uh, January <laughs> while they're here instead of being, you know, on Singapore the entire time. So I think this is, you, you know, you know, with this new evil variant lurking out there, putting that aside, yeah. um, this is great news. And just, yeah, crystal ball gazing for a second, and this is where we all pretend we're epidemiologists when we're not, but uh, Omicron, uh, since the pandemic started, I've never seen international governments move so quickly as I have with this one. We're talking hours and minutes in the last 24 hours. South Africa, other African countries are being closed down. Again, we're projecting here. What impact, if any, will this have on the VTLs, do you think? Well, I had even forgot. I didn't even know, realize this was a Greek letter. I think I knew it at some time. I always thought it was Omega. Was <laughs> I know. I had to go back and look it up myself, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think this is one where governments are now getting ahead of everything. They're, you know, it, and this is, you know, kind of, you know, we're going to have to be flexible. We are on a trajectory to opening, but this could be two steps forward. This could be mm-hmm. one step back. Hopefully it will only be, you know, you know, one step back or a partial step back on on shutting down the flights as Singapore has done, as the U S has done, as mm. uh, Europe has done on, on seven African countries. So it's, it's something that we're going to be living with in this era of moving from, from pandemic to endemic. I mean, this is what we're just going to have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Our final story of the day, and it's an important one right here in the studio. Yeah. 
the it's not. It's Barbados really not. will become <laughs> Barbados will become a monarch free republic on November the thirtieth after removing Queen Elizabeth II as head of state. Neil could not be happier. You want me to comment first? Well, sure, no, yeah, yeah, let's take it to you. No, well, I'm not supposed to editorialize, so I will not editorialize. <laughs> Safe to say it's about... First time in history. Yeah, <laughs> moving into the 21st century to do away with an archaic, outdated, freeloading family institution <laughs> Woo, is, a, is a great move for Barbados. I'm booking my ticket as soon as VTO opens up, and I'm going to go there and wave the national flag of Barbados. But no editorializing on this show. Over to you, Steve. <laughs> Like, I don't understand, right? Like, to, you know, no one lives forever, right? So why do you do this now? Why can't you just wait, you know, uh, however much longer you have to wait um, and, and then change the picture on your currency away, away from the queen? So I, I'm just, you know, what's, what's causing it? What's the rush? I mean, do they not, you know, has the crown, you know, the, the series, the crown opened up the... The, the inner workings of the family that that has pushed them over the edge is it is it Boris Johnson as prime minister that's that's done it to them so I just can't figure out why now well, See, you miss it so, well why not wait it was the first part of your, your comment there Steve she's not going to last forever apparently she is <laughs> <laughs> the way things are going they're going to cryogenically freeze this lady she's not going anywhere well a a friend of mine in politics once uh, very rightly said all politics is local right and. And in this case, the uh, Sandra Mason, who is the governor general of Barbados, has been talking apparently as part of her platform about, uh, you know, moving on from the colonial past, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is one of her local, apparently local initiatives to do so after uh, close to 400 years of British influence uh, on, the, on, uh, on Barbados. So uh, I well, think it's, yeah. to your point, Steve, why didn't they just wait? Uh, obviously, there is a, a, a domestic uh, urgency about it for whatever reason. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. But, but Glenn, that's what I want to ask you. They have been a colony, a British colony for more than 300 years. Mm-hmm. And now there's an urgency to get this done. Yeah. What's happened to cause this urgency that didn't exist five, ten, Two hundred years. Because if we have any Barbadans you know, listening, please do write know, in the chat. They've had, a, they've had a look at the lineage. They've looked at Prince Charles and and said he talks to trees. We we, we, we can't have him as the head of state for Barbados. He talks to trees. Uh, well, is Come on, you got William. You got William and Kate in the on deck circle. Yeah. Right? Well, there you go. Right. You know, it, yeah. Well, so who's so who's next? Which wait. which country is I next? I mean, look, France survived the end of the the monarchy. Their tourism industry. It's just fine. Everybody goes to the Palace of Versailles. You don't need a king and queen for your tourism industry to survive. Barbados will be just fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll happily stick my but, head on their stamps if they want. The question, <laughs> the question that was not clear to me was how much money do they lose? Is there foreign, you know, there's foreign direct investment or some sort of government support, right, by the by the UK government? Mm. One would assume to, to all the colonies. Well, as you said, all politics is local. Steve would know that. I'm sure they've factored in the numbers, yeah, right. right? One would assume. Mm. One would assume. All right, Steve. Hey, we got to leave it there. Thank you very much for uh, your time today. Looking good as always. Keep the old style going. By the way, one of the world's worst beers, right along with Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> oh, is it a beer? I didn't oh, want to say. I didn't oh, know what it was. Oh, it's a terrible beer. It's a terrible beer. Yeah, it's beer. Old style. Yeah. 
it's it's Croizen, you know, and oh. and and I hey, I'm I'm super looking forward to Monday morning, you know. Coming <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about this off air with Dan. He <laughs> might think, be dressed smartly today, but your betrayal will not be forgotten. I think we may. I think we may call the revolution's in. begun. Oh, he's, 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 he's found a voice. The proletariat has found a voice. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Have a good right. weekend. Thanks, guys. Right, bye bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcast at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.